Good evening. It's good to see everyone tonight. Uh, we actually have a really good crowd considering um, the weather outside. kind of got a little bit cooler. Um, had a little bit of I know, drizzle of rain up here in, in the Somerset area, but it's good to see um, warm hearts and brethren together as we come together to worship God and spend time together in His Word. I want to once again thank the congregation here for the invitation. It's hard for me to believe this is just the second day of the meeting. <laughs> Yesterday felt like just a full day. Felt like I've already spent a week getting to know everyone here. And, and you have been very enjoyable. Um, your, your thoughts and your comments have been very kind, very encouraging to me. But what's been so much encouraging is getting to know you as individuals and getting to know you all as a congregation. Um, I've always had warm thoughts of the congregation here. I appreciate very much the support you've given me through the years for the work down in Greer, South Carolina. But what I really do appreciate about you is the love and unity that you all have here one with another. You are a good congregation. Good congregations of humble, loving brethren that love each other. Love God first. Love each other. Love your neighbor. Uh, you love the lost. Uh, that, that's, that's good people. That's good people of God. You have that here, and I encourage you to endeavor to keep doing that. Um, we have titled this lesson, Jesus is um, Grace and Truth, from John chapter 1, verse 14, how Jesus was full of grace and truth. And we first talked about um, what does it really mean to be a disciple? We kind of went around and asked some questions and talked about that Sunday morning. And, and then we talked about also Sunday morning about the woman taking adultery. And that the face Seashaw saw on that day was the face of he who is full of grace and truth. And that's the one that we serve today. And he looks upon us through eyes of grace. We saw last night that grace does not mean that we're not under law or commandments to God or Christ. Um, we saw in the book of Titus chapter 2, because God's grace is so great and we, have, we live in such great appreciation for what God's done for us. Um, grace teaches us, that like, like a school teacher... Um, to keep God's commandments. And tonight we kind of want to cover the subject about salvation by grace. And um, I want to invite you to open your Bibles. Um, I have my Bible open to the book of uh, Matthew chapter 15. And I want to invite you to open your Bibles and follow along as we talk about salvation by grace um, to today. I want to say too as we begin that um, one thing that uh, I've kind of learned to do uh, back home and even in meetings is just let song leaders choose the songs. I want to thank the song leaders from yesterday and today. The, the, the singing has been uplifting, motivating, it touched my heart. Uh, I've always had a saying that you know, song leaders, you know, we, they take you up to the top of the mountain to worship God. And then we, we break open the bread of life, we study God's word. Um, you, have, you have a great work that you do and you have really good song leading. We're good song tonight, appreciate it very much. And I want to um, give a shout out to the song leaders here. Whenever we look at um, Jesus being um, salvation and grace, I want you to think about your personal relationship to God. Once think of, I want you to think about what thoughts you think about that you don't share with other people. Do you ever have thoughts that you think about that sometimes maybe you're not good enough as a Christian? I want you to let, just think about that just for a moment. And uh, I want to share with you a true story of a man named Clifford Jones. Um, when I went to Alabama to preach, I was only preaching for about, about two or three years there, and I met a man named Clifford Jones. And um, he was a very humble man, very kind man. 
Uh, he had recently obeyed the gospel, and when I met him, um, he, he had struggles in life. He had struggles in life. And church members would give him a ride to the services. Um, but he's the only individual I've ever met in my life that did not have family. And of course, he had a father and mother somewhere in the past. But in the present, as an older man, he probably was about 55 or 60 years old, Clifford had no parents, no brothers, no sisters, no cousins. He, I've never met somebody that had no relatives in their life. And the day he obeyed the gospel, the only family this man had was, was the church, his church family. Clifford um, had cancer. And through the days that kind of leading up to where uh, he knew his time was coming to an end, I remember sitting in his bedroom with him on the edge of his bed, and we were talking, we were studying the Bible. And, and he was just sobbing and crying. Because all of his life, he's lived his life not as a Christian. He's now obeyed the gospel. And Clifford would just keep saying over and over again, I'm not going to get to go into heaven. It about broke my heart. And, you know, I would reassure him and, you know, tell him, you know, God loves you. God forgave you. You're a Christian. You're a child of God. You have the hope of heaven. Clifford, you're going to go to heaven. But he just struggled to think about that. How many of us struggle to think about that? In your own thoughts of your own mind, do you ever think, am I good enough for God? Do I do enough for God? Sometimes good Christians may ask questions about salvation in heaven and I just want to say this, that does not make you a bad Christian. That makes you a Christian that you are wanting to give God your best. That speaks of your heart. It speaks of the intent of your heart. And for us as Christians, we learn to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and in God's promises. But sometimes we might ask questions like, am I faithful enough to God? Or am I doing enough good works for God? We talked about good works last night. Um, are all my sins forgiven? Do we ever feel like we're not fully forgiven? Or, you know, it goes along with the idea of maybe not feeling like I'm maybe not good enough for God. And am I prepared to, to go to heaven? Uh, I remember, you know, for two years I dodged COVID. <laughs> Me and my wife did a good job. And um, we went to somebody's wedding. And that's one time we kind of let our guard down and went home. And three days later, we both got hit with COVID. And when you see and hear things about COVID and you think within yourself, within your heart, heaven becomes nearer sometimes and heaven becomes more of reality in our lives. So us as a Christians, what I want us to do tonight is simply look at a couple passages in the scripture. And I hope that you leave tonight that you can know if you can feel confident in your salvation and feel more trustworthy in your salvation and that you have that hope and that hope becomes more real that, that we know that we have eternal life, and we simply leave this life to go home to be with God. So what does God say in the Bible about um, salvation by faith and by grace? In the book of um, Matthew chapter 15, um, we're going to look at a, an event in the life of Jesus, uh, Jesus and the uh, Gentile woman. Um, I want us to look at the text. We're going to make some observations about the woman, and we're going to make some observations about what does it mean to talk about salvation by grace. Mostly tonight we're going to be talking about salvation by grace and, and, and salvation by faith. 
But I want you to look at this woman, because this is one of these interesting events in the life of Christ, kind of one of these stories you kind of just read over and don't go back to analyze sometimes. But I think we can draw some lessons. Let's begin reading in Matthew chapter 15, and we're down in verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And the disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was, sent, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, True, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it to be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. I want you to look at some of the things that happened in this story, in this event. And the first thing I want us to notice is that Jesus was seeking rest. If you go back to Mark's account, over the same account of the story in Mark chapter 7, in verse 24, the text says, And from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. Um, the area that Jesus has traveled to is about 20 or 30 miles from, um, from the area of Galilee. He kind of goes up toward the Sea of Galilee. And it's like he's wanting to get away and he goes in a house. He doesn't want anybody to know he's there. From time to time, even Jesus had to get away to get rest. How often times do we kind of go through the rat race and go through work and go through the housework and go through the schoolwork and we're tired and then that summer time comes around or our vacation time comes around and we just think, I just need to get away and have a little R&R and rest. Whenever Jesus went through Samaria, we'll talk about that tomorrow night, the Bible says Jesus was tired and he had to sit and rest at Jacob's well. Jesus needed time away from time to time from his ministry to rest. But we see here he's not going to find rest. The lady comes. And so what we see is Jesus was seeking rest. And what we see is this woman, she is called a Syphophoenician woman. Uh, she's coming to Jesus and she desires a miracle that Jesus would heal her daughter. And notice in the text in verse 22, so Jesus is in the house, as Mark tells us, uh, as Matthew tells, as Mark tells us. And then we see that in verse 22, and behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him. And my question is, how did she know he was in the house? <laughs> so this woman maybe had heard about Jesus when he was Galilee. Jesus is not in her region. She finds out somehow she is in her region. In those days, you didn't have social media. You just kind of go to Facebook or go to, you know, something else. You know, Jesus moved over here now. Jesus is at Somerset. And, you know, he's right here in this house, this address. Just Google it. You'll be right where he's at. How did she find where he was at? She, was, she heard of him. She knew something about him. This woman displays evidence of the knowledge of the Old Testament. Uh, she calls him, you know, the, the, the son of David. Uh, she calls him Lord there in verse 22. Uh, this woman had this level of faith. Uh, and, and I mean, though she was Gentile, 
and, and her daughter is severely demon-possessed, and she knew the man that she needed to get to was Jesus, and finally Jesus is in her area. How he found her, we do not know. But what we find in this text that, that is interesting, that Jesus, in this text, and the disciples, deny a meeting with this woman four times. And this is one of these texts that you go back and look at and go, so why did it happen that way? <laughs> I thought Jesus always wanted to be with people and help people and teach people. Why is it that she's denied four times access to Jesus? And, and the text doesn't tell us. Um, I'll give you a lot of answer. I think it could have been in a moment. I think fix the text. But I want you to notice what happens. First we see that she comes, she's just crying out for Jesus. But notice the first turn off, turn away, is in verse 23. But Jesus answered her not a word. So that's the first kind of push off there. You know, she, she's outside or she's in the house and she's trying to get Jesus. To, and Jesus didn't answer her a word. We see secondly, she turns to the disciples. And the disciples come to Jesus, urging him, saying, send her away for she cries out after us. There's a second push away. You know, just get, the, just, you know, get her away from us. What do we got to do to get rid of you? Well, then we see... Jesus engages in the conversation, but it's the, the third push off for the woman, verse 24. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus went to the Jew first to preach the gospel. In the, in the limited commission, they were to only go to the lost house of Israel, not to the Gentiles. That was something that would happen after the cross. So the third push off is she says, I wasn't sent to the Gentiles, and you're a Gentile. That's the third push off. And then we see she comes in verse 25. Then she came and worshiped him. Maybe she's down at his feet. Maybe she's just bowing down to the ground to show reverence toward him. And she, she just persistent, persistent, persistent that she wants Jesus to heal her daughter. And here is the fourth push off of the woman. Look at verse 26. But he answered, after she's worshiping him now, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. You're thinking, whoa, what did, what did you, you know, if somebody said to, to you or me, you know, it's not really good for me to, to talk to, to dogs. You'd be like, what did you just call me? Call me a dog? Now, the word used here is for like a little, I understand, a lap dog, a little house dog. Not like dogs that run the streets, scavenger dogs. My daughter just um, about a year or so ago moved over to, to Tennessee, kind of down from Nashville. And they had the trouble with wild dogs running, and, and, and they were dangerous. But the little word used here is not for that. It's actually used for a small dog or something that would be like a little household dog. And, and, it's, and, and so we come to the question, why did she have the push off for, three, for, for four times? But notice her reaction to Jesus in verse 27. And she said, True Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then we see in verse 28, Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed that very hour. So, I ask you the question, why the four push-offs? 
I really don't know the answer to it. We're not given an answer in the text. But I'll tell you what we can learn from the text. By her not getting the answer and the healing at the first request, it allowed her not one time, not two times, not three times, not four times, four times, it allowed her four times to show her faith over and over and over again and I just kind of get an answer in my mind, just be my opinion. The text really doesn't tell us. I believe Jesus already knew he was going to heal the little girl. Jesus allowed the event and the situation for her to show the greatness of her faith. So as she doesn't get the answer at first from Jesus, what we see at the end in verse 28, Jesus, we see, uh, she shows faith in Jesus. Jesus praises her for her great faith, and her daughter was healed by grace and faith. Remember, grace is defined as a favor or goodwill, a desire to do goodwill toward somebody, God's goodwill toward us. We don't deserve it, but God gives us that. God gives us His favor, or we use that, that term, that uh, unmerited favor. Well, there's nothing the woman could do to merit the healing so that was grace. But I'll tell you what, why she received the healing was because of her faith. Great example of faith, I think, in this story. It's an interesting story. And I believe that Jesus allowed her to respond four times for, for the request to simply to demonstrate her faith and for Jesus to confirm the great faith in this Gentile that she had. Turn with me now in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. The little girl was saved by her mother's faith. The mother received the answer to her response because of faith. And for us as Christians, uh, we are saved by faith. Man has salvation by faith. And when I want us to look at what is said about Abraham in this text to help us get our minds around how does God view us, and we can view ourselves through God's eyes, on how can we know that we are saved? How can we know that our sins are How can I know my sins are gone? How can I know that I'm cleansed, I'm white as snow? And some of those terms that David would use in the Psalms about asking God to make him white as snow again and, and to wash away and purge his iniquity. How can we know that we have that fellowship with God? And when we can understand that we really are in a safe state and we, we know it and we feel it and we can live it, and then that question about heaven just kind of gets answered. That if I was to leave this life and this, you know, at, at my time, I know I have a hope, I, have a I know where I'm going. And I know where those who are Christians gone before me that I love um, have gone also. I want us to read the text. We're going to read um, Romans chapter 4. Uh, uh, we're going to read verses down through 1 through 8. And we're going to go back and make some observations. So Paul writes about Abraham and about Abraham's faith. And he says in chapter 4 and verse 1, What then shall we say that Abraham our father was found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something of which to boast, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven 
and whose sins are covered, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So just kind of stepping back from this text, I want us to kind of look back at the text for just a moment. And I want us to notice that he's using an example of Abraham in this text. And the first thing I want us to notice, and to kind of help us understand the two things under discussion and consideration in this text, is, is, two, is just two ideas. Number one is the idea that I can be saved by, by perfect living, by perfect law-keeping. And, and, and many times in the Lord's church, whenever we're combating denominational error or moral error, we preach and teach God's word, and we, you know, we teach how you have to you know, obey God, and we talked about obeying the commandments of Jesus, John chapter 14 yesterday. And you, you, know, you talk about ideas about salvation by faith only, and we go over the book of James, how man's not saved by faith only. You, know, you see how you know, we're, man is justified by works, not by faith only. And, and a lot of times in our preaching and teaching, Sometimes I think we get a little bit of a residue left in our minds that I got to make sure I really do a lot of works that I get to heaven. And, and I think we, and then we get questions, am I good enough? Am I doing good enough? And what we look at this text, what we see is there's a comparison between the idea of perfect law keeping, that God has given a law, and if I keep that law perfectly, I get to go to heaven. Or the other option is, we are justified, made right, saved, you get to go to heaven based upon faith. And when we use the term faith, we're talking about an active faith, an obedient faith, a faith as James describes in James chapter 2. So the first thing I want to notice about Abraham is the question was going to be about, was Abraham justified by perfect works? Look back at the text in verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something of which to boast, but not before God. Come down to verse, verse 4. Now to him who works, notice how you had the idea of works in verse 2. You have the idea of works also in verse 4. If Abraham was justified by works, now to him who works. The idea of works there is the idea of perfect law keeping. God's given a law, I keep that law perfectly, and I get to go to heaven. And the truth is, none of us keep, can keep God's law perfectly. We can, but we don't keep God's law perfectly. And that's not really going to be an option for us, but that is the comparison here. For the Jew, it was like the idea of keeping the law of Moses to go to heaven. But the truth is, nobody but Jesus kept the law of Moses perfectly. And when you look at the idea in this text, when we look back at verse 4, now to him who works, this idea of performance religion or keeping the law perfectly, the wages are not counted as grace. So grace is not involved in that way of salvation, but a debt. So you have the works, this idea of debt. What's the comparison? What's the idea? When you go to work and you put in a 40-hour work week, what do you get at the end of the work week? Or maybe you get at the end of every, other, every two work weeks. You get a paycheck. And then you look at that paycheck and, you know, I put in, I know, 40.5 hours last week. Let me just look. Yeah, employer got it right, 40 point, and a half hours right there and, Multiply it out by my wages, and right, oh, and right there's the total that looks really good. But then they took out the taxes. It kind of went down a little bit. Well, you know what? The employer paid me for what I worked for. He paid me what I put in. With works by salvation by works, we keep God's law perfectly. We go before God the judgment day, and we say, God, kept it perfectly. Didn't sin, didn't break your law. And that's not, that's, that's not going to be salvation by grace. 
But the truth is, we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's not an option. Um, there was a um, singer. I'm not going to mention her name. You might have heard the story. But um, her bus crew, um, her bus crew that takes her to all the concerts, I guess it's a custom if you're a, a, a rock star or a country singer star that and you have your bus crew that takes you around, sets up everything and brings it back down and, and carries you around these big old you know, buses that rock stars and country singers are in. It's customary that at the end of the year or end of maybe a concert season, you give them a bonus. Well, this singer gave all the drivers of the bus a $100,000 bonus. Now, I ask you a question. Did they earn it? No. Were they expecting it? No. It was a gift. It was a favor. It was goodwill. It was unmerited. It was grace. It wasn't a paycheck. It was a bonus is what it was. It was a gift. And so when you look back to the comparison at our text, we see that when he looks at the text and we see in verse 4, now him who works for the paycheck, and for us we want to go to heaven, the wages are not counted as grace, but debt. Well, that's not how Abraham was saved. Abraham was justified by faith. So we see the second option is going to be saved by faith and grace. So when we look at our text, we go back and we see in verse 3, and he raises the question, for if Abraham was justified by works, and he would have something to boast of before God. Look at verse 3. But what does the Scripture say? What does the Bible say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted. We're going to come back to that word accounted in just a moment. To him for righteousness. What are we reading in verse 3? Two key words I want us to see in verse 3. The word believe, that's faith, and the word righteousness. Again, if you understand what righteousness is, take your finger, cover up all the last letters of the word righteous, except for the first five letters, and what word do you get? Right. How am I right with God? Go back to what he said. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him that he was right with God. God says Abraham was righteous. Abraham was justified. Abraham was saved. That's another way of saying he was forgiven. Was Abraham perfect? No. Abraham sinned? Yes. Abraham make mistakes? Yes. Did Abraham have strong points in his life and weak points in his life? Yes. Was Abraham saved by perfect law keeping, though he was the father of the faith? He is the hero of the Old Testament? No. <laughs> Abraham, it says in this text, was um, saved by believing in God. And then we go on to read in verse 5. But to him who does not work, this is the idea of not having work in our, in our faith, you know, faith that works is dead. This is talking about a system of works to be saved. Perfect law keeping. But believes on him, that's faith, who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted. There's that word again, accounted, for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from what? Works. Perfect law keeping. So when we look at our text, Abraham was saved by faith and by grace. And the text tells us that faith is accounted for man's righteousness and man's salvation. Now, I want us to look a little bit closer at that word accounted and what that word accounted means. I think it's a very important word to look at in our study. Now, what does it mean when it says that it was accounted to him for righteousness sake? 
when we look at the text, I want us to look at this word accounted. I want us to go back to verse 5. I want you to look back at your text, and I want you to notice where this word is found. I believe it's the same word in the original language, just translated a little bit differently. Look back at verse 3. That's when we first saw the word. We see there, there's the word accounted. Drop down to verse 4. There's just the first use. Look at the second use in verse 5. There's the word counted. That's the second use. Okay, come on down to verse 5. You have the word accounted again. That's a, a third use. And then once you come down to verse 6, you have the word imputed, the same idea. And then down in verse 8, again, you have the word imputed. Over and over again is this idea of this word that is used here, accounted, um, that's used in the, in the text. And what that word means is this. It means to think on, to put together in one's mind. It's an accounting word that, that in, in the accounting world, you would take some numbers over here and, and transfer that, those numbers over here. Uh, at our bank, we have our checking account, and we have another account, savings account. And I can go, and I can move $100 over here, and it is accounted over here. Now, if I go and hit the transfer button, and I come up $100, and I come back over to the other, and that little $100 doesn't pop in, well, I just start getting, where did my $100 go to? Well, I was supposed to be accounted over here. It's supposed to be over here. And what we see is the word, while well, it's an accounting word, it's also a word to use on the think upon, how, we, how God thinks upon me and you. What the text is saying is, when you look back at verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and to Abraham's account, to his salvation account, to his relationship with God, it was accounted to Abraham for what? rightness with God. God looks at his faith. He was striving to live God, to, faithful to God by faith. And God considered him righteous in God's eyes. We come down to our text in verse 5. But to him who does not work, that is salvation by perfect law keeping, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is what? Accounted for righteousness. God considers us righteous. Let me say something about the word righteous. If you're righteous, to be righteous, God has to justify us, and therefore we're considered righteous. We receive that justification in the blood of Christ shed on the cross. So because of that sacrifice, and we believe God justifies us. When I say believe, I mean believe, and we repented, we've been baptized. And after baptism, we keep on believing and serving faithfully, giving God our best. Rightness is accounted to my life that I'm right with God. With the idea of rightness is that I am forgiven. What happens when we're baptized? We are forgiven of our sins. What happens after a Christian, I'm forgiven, I sin again. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, I can pray to God, and God is faithful and just to, to forgive all of our unrighteousness, all of my unrighteousness. The sin I committed, God forgives me. I keep going on being right, cleansed, forgiven in God's eyes. The sin is not to my account. Righteousness is to my account. God sees me as being righteous. He sees you as being righteous in God's eyes. It means how God thinks on us it means what God puts together in his mind toward us. 
The same word account is used in Hebrews chapter 11. And this has really kind of brought this home to me. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, and I want you to come down to verse 17. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. You remember the, the story of Abraham and Isaac and to offer Isaac on the mountain as a sacrifice? And there in the book of Genesis, whenever God asked Abraham to do that, uh, here his son is older now. He's maybe a teenager, young adult. Uh, whenever they went up the mountain, he was old enough to carry the wood. And whenever God asked him to go to that mountain, Moriah, and to sacrifice his son, the very next morning, Abraham got up to do exactly what God told him to do. Uh, they travel, they get to the mountain. Uh, there were some helpers that went with Abraham. Some of his men went with him. And then they, they get the wood, and Isaac's carrying the wood, and they, they get the fire. And he turns to his servants and says, me and this, the boy are going to go on top of the mountain and worship. And then Abraham says something just makes you wonder. He says, and then we will come back. But God told him to sacrifice his son on that mountain. So he goes up and he goes and prepares it and he prepares a fire, he prepares a sacrifice, he puts his son on the altar and he goes through with the sacrifice and his thought in mind, the knife was there and he was going to take, he was going to make the sacrifice and God, the angel stayed his hand. Abraham went through with that sacrifice in his mind. Now look what the text says Abraham was thinking. Look at verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Look at the very first word in verse 19. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. That word accounting in verse 19 is our same word that's used in Romans chapter 4 on how God, what does it mean? To think on, to put together one's mind. So when Abraham goes up that mountain, and he knows this is a son of promise, of which our great nation is going to come, but he's going to kill Isaac, sacrifice Isaac, what was he thinking upon? The Bible tells us. What was going through Abraham's mind? The text says, when you go back into verse 19, it says that Abraham, as he was going through the sacrifice, Isaac's going to be dead. He's accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which Abraham also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham already saw himself sacrificing his son. His son is dead. God's going to raise him from the dead. So before he went through the act, he already had in his mind Isaac back with him. That's what he was thinking upon. In his mind, he saw God raising Isaac from the dead, and Isaac, me and the boy, shall return to you. Come back down the mountain together. That word is used for how God sees us. That in God's mind, how did you feel, how did you think, what did you believe, think and feel the day you were baptized? You know what I love about baptism? <laughs> Not only somebody getting, being saved, being, being their journey with Jesus, is either somebody comes up out of the water smiling ear to ear, the happiest day of their life, or they come back out of the water and it's a happy day of their life and they're crying <laughs> because they're, they're so full of joy. It's a joyful day. You remember the day you were baptized? I remember the day I was baptized. 
Do you remember the feeling? I washed my sins away. I rose and was baptized and washed my sins away. My sins were washed away and forgiven with the blood from the cross. And you stood in that place or in that church building or you went out afterwards and you were clean. You were forgiven. Do you have that feeling today and that thinking today? What gave you confidence in your baptism? It was the Word of God, not just the Word of God, it was your faith and trust in the character of God that He forgave you. Let's go back to our text, Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, how does He say that we are justified? How does He say as we walk day by day after our baptism? How does God view us? Uh, what is God thinking upon or putting together in His mind? How He views us? It says in verse 3, for you and me today. It says, for what does the Scripture say? This is Romans 4 verse 3. Abraham believed God. That was an active, active faith. A faith that works. A faith that gives God His best. And it was accounted in God's mind toward Abraham that Abraham was righteous, saved, made clean, sins forgiven. It's not by perfect law keeping. It's going to be by giving God, obeying God to the best of your ability as you grow, always giving God your best. That's walking by faith, salvation by faith, salvation by grace and faith. David talks about this in our text. I want you to think about David's life. If you look in our text, we come on down and we see that when you look at verse 7, Psalms 32, verse 1 and 2 are quoted. And Paul writes this and he says, you know what, this is what David said in the Old Testament. Look at verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute iniquity. You remember what happened to David back in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13? Remember David's great sin with Bathsheba? How David had coveted another man's wife. David committed adultery. David tried to cover it up. David had lies. David committed murder by his, not with his hand, but with the pen of his hand. David took her to be his wife. And then we see that... Um, prophet comes to him, gives him a little ewe lamb story, and David kind of burst out in rage. And then it said, David, you are the man. And David, with all of his emotions, all his thoughts, all his knowledge of God in his mind, David says in verse 13, I have sinned. I am guilty. And in that moment, the prophet of God says, God has put away your sin. God gave David grace. God gave David forgiveness. David was forgiven of his sin and of his adultery. God so much forgave David of his sin and adultery, David stayed married to Bathsheba, and David's son of Bathsheba, Solomon, becomes the next king. And David just went on serving God. Yes, his sin was great. Sometimes our sins are great. All sins are great. All sins are bad. You ask God to forgive you, you keep on going on, 
and you have faith in God, and God justifies us by having an act of faith. I want you to notice somehow this passage, going back to Abraham, is translated in some other verses. I always found this interesting. Uh, This is going back to where Abraham believed God. This is going back to our passage in verse 3. This is some other translations of the Bible. New King James, it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was credited to him for righteousness from, from another translation. So you have the word accounted, you have the word credited. God accepted Abraham's faith, and that faith made him right with God. That is why God canceled his sins and declared him not guilty. Because of his faith, God accepted him as righteous. I like that. That helps me understand that God, what accounting means, accredited means, being accepted, that sin is canceled out, that God accepts him as being righteous. Now, you and I can get that, and we see that in big, good, old, faithful Abraham in the Old Testament. Let's bring that home to us in the building tonight. I've already asked permission to do this, but this brings it home. Let's change the name Abraham to Cody. Wow, Cody's like one of us, you know. You know, we're not like big, faithful, strong Abraham. He's like, he's down the he's like, he lives, he walks in our shoes. We'll just take Abraham's name out and put Cody's name in. Cody's here tonight. Cody gave me permission to do this. And this is true for every one of us in the audience. As we have been baptized in the Christ, and after baptism, we live by faith. We strive to keep God's commandments. And we give God our best. When we sin, we ask for forgiveness. And you keep on giving God your best and you live by faith. And God keeps on saying, you're righteous and you're saved. Could he believe God and it was accounted to him for righteousness? Could he believe God and it was credited to him for righteousness? Could he believe in God and God accepted Cody's faith? That faith made him right with God. Doesn't that bring that home to us? Um, Could he believe God? That is why God canceled his sin. That's what it means to be righteous and declared him not guilty. And because of his faith, God accepted him as Cody as being righteous. Doesn't hit much closer to home. Cody, thank you for letting me use your name. (laughs) So for us as Christians, obeying God's commandments are always important. But we're not going to keep it perfect. God saves us by grace. If everybody kept everything perfect, there'd be no need for grace. Because there's breaking God's law and their sin, there is grace. Grace and, and, and need for forgiveness because of sin, they will always go hand in hand. But where sin abounds in my personal life, in your personal life, God's grace will abound more when I ask for forgiveness. You can never sin more than God can ever forgive. We, we saw that with a woman taking adultery. We see that in David's life. But I want you to think about this as we bring our lesson to a close. I want to compare two people in Faith's Hall of Fame. I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, the Hebrew Christians were discouraged and they needed encouragement. You have chapter 13 showing this, um, these great examples of faith. And I want you to, to look in your Bibles and I want you to notice what is said. We'll just look at, um, you know, first we want to look at, at verse 6. For without faith it's impossible to please him. That's an active, working, saving faith. Without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now look at an example you have in verse 8. You have this, this good old Abraham. 
Um, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out. You got father of faith, Abraham. And now I want you to drop down to verse 31. Who do you have? It says, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Rahab the harlot makes the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame of Faith list. Yes, she did. I want you to notice how different they were. Abraham, we see, lived about 2100 B.C., from the, came from the Ur-Chaldeans. Uh, he was a worshiper of God. Uh, he obeyed God when he was asked to go out to a place that he did not know where he was going. He was a godly man for the most part. That's how we see Abraham's life. Uh, we see that Abraham talked with God. He had conversation with God. They talked back and forth. And Abraham talked to God, and God heard him. And, and God talked to Abraham, and Abraham listened to God. That's, that's pretty getting close to God. Uh, he was chosen by God. Abraham lied, though. Remember he lied to Pharaoh? Abraham lied two times about his wife. Abraham was not perfect. He lied, didn't he? But Abraham believed in God. And after his mistakes, he would keep on believing and obeying and giving God his best. Abraham forgave and saved, uh, God forgave and saved Abraham. And Abraham lived his life diligently seeking God. Now look at Rahab. Rahab lived about 600 something years after Abraham. Totally different location. She's in Jericho, about 1400 B.C. She, her people were worshipers of idols. She was a worshiper of idols in that land. She was a prostitute. Uh, she heard about God. Uh, she feared God when she heard about the God of Israel. She lied to the king about the spies when she hit him. Uh, she believed in God. God forgave and saved Rahab. And Rahab was diligently seeking God. I want you to go back to point number four. How, how in the world did Rahab hear about God when the Ten Commandments and all the law, Israel had that in the wilderness before they crossed over and took Jericho. They have God's laws all written down over here. Moses gave it. They got the law of Moses. What did Rahab have to read of anything about God? The text tells us that whenever God crushed the Egyptians, her people by word of mouth over time heard about it and all their mighty men, all the hearts of their mighty men melted with fear of the God of Israel and you have this prostitute living in this house thinking, hmm, maybe I need to believe in this God and not all my gods. And while they wandered 40 years in the wilderness, she has all these years developed a whatever small seedling faith that she could have. She had faith in God. And when the spies came, she hid the spies. She helped the spies. The Bible says it was by faith the harlot Rahab did not pay. She's in the hallmark who's in this text. They're saved by faith. She's an example for us by faith. Well, I want you to notice this. Vastly different backgrounds, vastly different levels of faith. Everyone's faith would be way up here. Rahab's faith just had to be really teeny tiny down here. And sometimes your faith may be way up here. Sometimes your faith may feel really tiny down here. But you know what? You still have faith. And when you're giving God your best, what faith you have, you're justified. You're giving God your best. 
I mean, we cannot continue to sin that sin may abound or that grace may abound, giving God our best. And what we see is that both Abraham and both Rahab, though vastly different and vastly different backgrounds in lifestyles, they had one thing in common, it was faith. And both were saved by grace and faith. Where are you at in your walk tonight with God? Everything begins with when we come to Jesus Christ. And when we come to Jesus Christ, we begin our walk and our journey, and we begin that walk and journey by faith. I want to end with a story. I want to put the plan of salvation on the screen as I tell you this story. I got a phone call um, to come to someone's house at 10 o'clock at night. Um, uh, he was a Christian. He'd married a young lady named Christy. Christy was not a Christian. And, I, and, and they wanted to, 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 Christy wanted to talk to somebody. So we come over, I go over to their house, and we sit down at the kitchen table. And I'm there, and the husband's there, and Christy's there. And, and I'm there with my Bible. I got my Bible. We're there. And, Okay, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> and Chrissy is just almost shaking. And she says, I don't know if I'm saved. I said, okay, why do you feel that way? She says, well, I've been to this church. I've been to this church. I've heard different ways of getting saved. I don't know if I'm saved. I want to know how I can be sure I'm saved. I said, Chrissy, best question you ever can ask. I said, could we just look at some Bible passages? And literally, I just popped my Bible open on our kitchen table, began in Acts chapter 2, and just kind of went through and read how people got saved. And by the time we got to Paul to rise and be baptized and be saved, Chrissy did this. Chrissy just sat back in her chair. She had tears running down her face. And she says, can I do that tonight? And I said, yes, let's go do it. Go get a bath towel. <laughs> and we baptized Chrissy that night. And Christy went home. But Christy said this in the meeting. She said, I feel like I have a, a hole in my heart. And then she was baptized. And Sunday when she was at church, she was coming out. And, and we gave her a hug. And, and I said, Christy, let me ask you something. I said, do you still have a hole in your heart? And she laughed. She smiled. And she said, no. Well, I filled the hole in her heart. It was salvation by faith based upon God's word. Do you have a hole in your heart tonight? Do you know whether or not you are saved tonight? Are you a Christian and you have questions? Are you a Christian and you have sins that you want us to pray for you to be forgiven and you can go home cleansed and saved tonight? Have you been thinking about being baptized but been putting it off? And you feel like you have a hole in your heart. We want to ask you to come forward and to trust Jesus Christ and believe in Him, make that confession of faith, repenting from your sins, be baptized into Jesus Christ, become His disciple and a Christian tonight. If we can help you, will you please come while we stand and while we sing?